Our next guest this afternoon is Simon McGrath AM, Chief Executive Officer of Accor Pacific. Simon offers over three decades of experience and insights across the tourism and hospitality industries and joined the Accor business in 2006. Simon, it's a pleasure having you as part of our program. Let's start with the current environment. How are you finding demand and occupancy across your portfolio at the moment? Yeah, look, throughout you know, Australia and New Zealand, the, the demand is, uh, is growing. Obviously, we saw a very quick return to leisure business and everyone would have experienced in December, January, the, the leisure destinations that were full um, right throughout Australia. And that's that great Australian travellers staying at home and, and fulfilling their lifelong desire and dream to actually stay at home and travel. And so that, that's certainly happening. And, and what we're now moving into is the phase, which is the reactivation of cities and, and the strength of that. And then cities are reimagining themselves in the way in which they welcome people, not just travellers to their, their regions, but also the city residents themselves. And we've just experienced the most turbulent year on record for the tourism and hospitality sectors. Take us through the year that was as in 2020 and, and how has the Accor business responded to the challenges of the past 12 months? Yeah, look, it was, it was quite a devastating year, obviously, globally for tourism, but one that was, um, yeah, you come out of it quite encouraged because I, I can sure as hell tell you the one thing that people are going to put back on their, you know, household debt and cash is going to be a, a holiday. There'll be many other sectors that may not return, but certainly travel. People are bursting to do, and uh, I think everyone now appreciates it. But 2020 for us, you know, started, you know, we had a good first quarter, but obviously by April, we, uh, we were dealing with COVID and, um, and the devastating impacts of that, and some we'd never seen before. Uh, we went from 21,000 employees down to about 6,500 employees. We're now back to about 12 to 13,000 employees, and we're re rebuilding very quickly. We then dealt with, you know, owners, investors, um, and capital that were, had, had supported the industry for so long and done so very well out of the industry. We really had to wrap our arms around them and make sure as an operator um, that we were delivering for them in terms of managing their, their costs and managing the, the news simply. And the news was changing every fortnight as to how do we you know, set down these assets and, and in some cases hibernate them and then bring them, bring them back up. We worked through with governments on JobKeeper and the support programs that were necessary for, for owners and investors um, and employees, and we're able to do that. And then started to provide a centre for people, you know, and, and we had to find our centre so that we could lead, lead our employees, lead our investors um, and the industry, and make sure that um, people felt comfortable, uh, people understood what was what was happening, um, and that there was a logical path out. And we were able to achieve that towards the end of the year. And there's some confidence that started to grow in fourth quarter last year. You mentioned governments there. I want to ask, how satisfied has the core business and the tourism industry more broadly been with the, the response of both state and federal government leadership to these issues? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I think uh, there's, it's, there's, there's two answers to that. There's the wider economy, um, and they're specific to the tourism industry. On the wider economy, um, you'd only have to look to the rest of the world to understand that both New Zealand and Australia have done an outstanding job in terms of keeping the community safe, making sure that our health systems are strong, and then most importantly, you know, working through and stimulating the economy. And, and whilst it's been tragic, uh, some of the impacts, um, there's no doubt that the economy is in a strong position. So, you know, sometimes we describe the Australian economy as the hypochondriac of world economies, um, and we're definitely in that phase now. We'll talk ourselves down if we can, but the reality is when you look around the rest of the world, you feel pretty proud and, and and humbled as to the position we're in and the platform we've got to, to move on to. 
Um, so, you know, you have to give them yeah, top marks for that. I think in relation to the tourism industry, JobKeeper has been an outstanding success for the tourism industry and it's been important in terms of making sure that the, the industry doesn't go into closure, that it can just hibernate or in fact operate um, and, and, and that's been well supported. The marketing dollars from each state government and both federal governments have, is, is, has been improved for the domestic marketing. They've shifted, you know, you look at Tourism Australia alone, they've pivoted their international spend to a domestic uh, spend. I think what's happened, and, and pleasingly for the tourism industry, governments recognise the employment solutions that the tourism and hospitality industry plays, not only short term but long term, and I think you know that's appreciated now more, far more than ever. And subsequently, we're getting a far greater focus from, from governments on the tourism and hospitality sector, and, and, uh, and I think that will continue. Looking ahead over the next 12 to 18 months, what are your forecasts in terms of occupancy and rev par growth across the portfolio? Yeah, look, it's uncertain still. You know, I think um, we don't know what you know the revenue forecast will be, and probably not a platform which I'll share the, the actual numbers. But I, what I can say is sentiment, um, and, and I think you'll see. As we see today, you'll see domestic uh, tourism and leisure tourism particularly, and that's not just in this region, we're seeing that globally being such a strong focus. People are wanting to reconnect with families, they want to take holidays, um, they're largely restricted by borders and uh, so you're seeing you know, domestic tourism travellers quite strong. I think the cities, interestingly enough, I have a pretty positive view on, on cities and, and that's been the sort of most recent focus for the tourism sector and government and, and why do I think that? I think the reality is we've got quite a buoyant economy. Um, you know, there's, a, there's enough activity in the market to make money and, and, and grow businesses and so on. I think what that does is it brings a level of competition. Competition brings travel. Uh, the relationships that you need to build, build the deals that you need to do, the activity out there. We're already seeing examples of companies that you know, are ahead of other people because they're travelling and they're moving around and, and getting going. And I, I think the stimulus of, of our general economy will drive the city, uh, certainly cities, and the activation of cities. I think on top of that, the state governments, as I said before, are very interested and, and in fact focused on getting people back into the cities. So you'll see a lot of artificial government support for that. Um, and I think, yeah, then you've got consumer sentiment alone. They want to see events, they want to see theatres, they want to see activity, they want these cities open. And then the Australian cities now are sitting on a landscape, it looks fabulous, you know, they, they look great. There's been a lot of investment over the last five years into Australian cities and, and in fact throughout New Zealand as well and I think we're primed for some, for some good growth ahead. Just on a personal level reflecting over the past 12 months, how would you see yourself as, as responding to the challenges? What have you learned as a leader during that time? I, look I think you've, you've probably honed your strength of leadership that you've always had and you've relied on those strengths far greater. I think you haven't had time to display or, or, or focus on your weaknesses. Uh, I think it's been no point. Um, and so, you know, you've played to your strengths and those strengths, if for any leader in good or bad times, it's about communication, it's about a level of empathy, it's about a genuine approach, um, it's about pretty accurate decision making, it's about knowing materiality versus what's not material um, and then giving a sense of confidence but being real throughout that and, uh, you know, that serves you well in buoyant times but certainly in tough times you don't have room for error. So you've probably taken those elements and, and really made sure that you've, you've been rock solid on those. Before we get into your role today and discuss the industry more broadly, I want to ask about Simon McGrath, the person. What interested you in the field of tourism and accommodation? And especially from such a young age, I believe you were involved in it and had an interest in it from such a young age. Why was that? 
Oh, look, I come from an Irish Catholic background, so pubs are, are deep in my heart um, and always have been. So even at a younger age, I was in pubs, spearing kegs and so on and so forth. I, I when I left school, made the, the you know, sort of heady movement towards five-star hotels, which I thought was a pretty interesting area. And so I applied at all the five-star hotels and, and ended up working in the salubrious area of the laundry um, and thought I'd made it. But uh, you know, my poor parents. But no, I did. I, I started in the laundry and I really enjoyed it. It was great, great experience. And I still, to this day, return to the housekeeping teams. They're the heart and soul of each hotel. So, you know, it's just, I, I enjoyed it. I, I really thought it was a great industry and it offered so much diversity in, in skills. You know, you, one minute you're doing marketing, you're doing finance, you're doing, you know, customer service, you do a high level of people engagement and, um, and a positive growth industry. So, yeah, it's been a, a great ride. How did your career progress over time and what are some of the most pivotal or, or interesting experiences that you've had so far? Yeah, look, I mean, in hospitality, geographies are open to you. So, you know, I've worked in you know, Thailand, I've worked in Malaysia, I've worked at Hamilton Island, Ayers Rock, Gold Coast, many parts of Australia. So first and foremost, the different geographies that you've been able to travel and work in and embed yourself in community has been great, it's been exciting. And, and uh, for myself and the family, it's, it's been really interesting. In terms of the, opportun the opportunities, in terms of commercially, um, again, you're looking at very different commercial models, you're looking at different property aspects, um, and you're growing businesses. And, and not surprisingly, over the last 20 years, you've seen, you've seen tourism rise, and certainly on a worldwide scale. Um, and so you, to actually you know, work with that and, and along with that has been quite exciting. Prior to your appointment as Chief Operating Officer and then Chief Executive Officer more recently, what are some of the key learnings or skills you've developed throughout the course of your career? Oh, look, I think, you know, you learn a, a, a couple of things. Firstly, you learn leadership, um, and it's critical. And leadership is about being genuine. It's about being very clear. It's about having the ability to make decisions. Um, but it's also about not your knowledge. It's about uh, being able to share your knowledge with a group of people and getting a group of people to achieve what an individual couldn't couldn't do on their own. And so that's that's really interesting and that's been very important. In terms of materiality, I think that's always critical in what we're doing in a busy world today. You know, what's the primary issue? What are the secondary issues? And how to, how to sort them very quickly so that you don't chase rabbits down holes or you, you're not affecting change in an area that may not need it or may have little return. I think being genuine, I think, you know, really understanding purpose, um, not going through the corporate process of producing a, a great, you know, profit or EBITDA or spending of capital and, you know, all those things are functionalities that frame a business, but the reality is you've got to understand your purpose uh, in that business um, and you've got to love it. You know, you can't fake it. So I think, you know, when you do get distracted by, you know, the corporate levers that pull and push, um, but the days where you, you need your centre, it's, it's about your purpose. So ha having a purpose and understanding that and then, and then loving it. And then ultimately, you know, it's a, I think any business is, is people orientated. So the ability to impact on people um, has been really important in terms of growth. As CEO of Accor Pacific, how have you seen the industry change over the past 15 years, both for the business itself and then for the industry as well? I think the industry has changed quite substantially and, and, and what's happened is if you look at social media, social media and the ability to distribute memories and great experiences, whether they be 
as a corporate traveller or on leisure and with your family. What it's meant is that people worldwide have, have recognised tourism and, and it's no longer for the, for the wealthy, it's for everybody. Low-cost carriers, the ability to travel, the ability to, 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 to share those memories. It sort of has brought up an overwhelming surge throughout the industry of everybody wants to travel. And in fact, everyone believes they have the right to travel. So that's very different to 15 years ago. And you see that. You see that in the low-cost carriers of, of Virgin and, and, and Jetstar. It's fantastic that a kid of 25 years of age now who wouldn't have travelled 15 years ago but is now going interstate or overseas, you know, three or four times a year. And that's happening globally. So first and foremost, I think it's become, it's moved from a tier two sector to a tier one sector in most developed economies. Uh, it's moved into top GDP contributors in most developed economies as well and, and, and those that are developing as well. So I think it's, it's acknowledgement as an industry that has real strength um, and acknowledgement as a also in a property class, it's become a tier one property class of genuine respect where 15 years ago is a boutique sort of industry or, or, or very narrow. And, and, and the growth in that is quite substantial. You see all the platforms, many people talk to us about Airbnb and are we happy that Airbnb is in the industry or not? I think it's fantastic, why? Because it's another form of discussion around travel. You know, it's a bad, it's capturing the heart. Airbnb would not be in such, a, such an industry if it wasn't a wonderful industry with a buoyant economy. So um, I think as an ex that's one of, example of many uh, businesses that have moved towards the tourism industry um, and it gives confirmation that the tourism industry has got a strong future. And take us through your role as CEO on a day-to-day -day basis. How do you fill up the calendar each day? Yeah, look, I mean, first and foremost, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, it's about people, but it's about you know, understanding the, the knowledge and information that you have to share with people, whether that be owners and investors, whether it be employees, um, you need to make sure that we've got a very clear understanding what we're about to achieve that day, what we're about to achieve that week, that month and that year. Uh, once we do that, it's about making sure that we share that with, with the various team members and, and you've got your message out. Once you've got your message out and whatever you're trying to affect, then it's about making sure that the people are understanding that and you're communicating with that. So that's sort of the, the, the leadership piece. Fiscally, um, we spend a lot of time in the numbers, making sure that the, you know, the various hotels have got the right margins, that we've got the right cost uh, levels in the hotels and that we're growing top line. If we move on to top line, it then moves into marketing, digital, um, brands and loyalty, so making sure that those key pillars in the business that grow top line uh, and produce ultimately the greatest impact on EBITDA are strong um, and buoyant and that we're taking our market share um, and given our size and scale we would expect to have a stronger market share and we do. Um, and then most importantly that leads on to customer um, and ultimately that's, that's the, real, the real purpose is to make sure that there's genuine customer engagement in all our hotels, whatever size or scale they have or wherever they are geographically you know, an Ibis, a Sofitel and all the range of brands um, that we've got a great level of customer engagement because ultimately that's going to give the business the greatest amount of safety and security going forward. Um, and then you've got the whole range of, you know, all the other corporate stuff which is, um, is just corporate stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the, the different brands there. How do you manage the process of, of brand positioning? Yeah, yeah it's a, look, it's a good question and one that we get asked a lot. We, um, we you know, to, to give you a simple model, uh, people are, are loyalty customers. So it's one in seven Australians as part of our loyalty program and that's, that's continuing to grow. So it's quite a dense loyalty program with great engagement. What the, our customers buy through the core platform, that's their store. 
when they get into that store, which is the digital world in which they live and their loyalty program, uh, then they buy the different product and they experience the brands and they experience a core through the brands. So uh, we make sure we've got, we need to have a curated platform you know, of, of brands where a customer can enjoy an economy brand, a mid-scale brand, luxury, lifestyle and ultra luxury. Um, at, at any point in time. And there's no one customer for one brand. Often a customer will stay in an Ibis, but six months later in that year will take their family to a Sofitel uh, for a holiday and so on and so forth. So uh, we need to provide a curated platform, one-stop shop for our customers and, and, and satisfy their needs so they don't go anywhere else. Which of those sectors has offered the most growth over the past five to 10 years? The economy sector, the corporate traveller, the, the budget, luxury? It's like asking me to vote for my children. Every sector is good sector, um, and they're all very strong. And they come in at different times. So, look, they've all they've all done well. There is no doubt a shift at the moment uh, in customer needs to, towards lifestyle. Uh, previous to that, it was luxury. Uh, previous to that, you know, the economy brands came out of the blocks, you know, some 12 years ago with the alignment of low-cost carriers and so on. So. Um, yeah, there's different phases. Uh, they all play a role. Um, but at the moment, we're seeing a lot of interest in lifestyle uh, from consumers. But let's, let's, you know, whilst it's getting a lot of the attention, it still is only anywhere between 5 and 10% of the total market. So often you'll see some of the brands and some of the sectors take an inordinate amount of public space or social space. Uh, but the established brands of, of mid-scale and, and economy um, you know, are the largest in the market and will continue to be so. What are the fundamentals the business considers in terms of whether they're building a, their own hotel, so site selection, or entering a management agreement? What are the fundamentals you look for? Oh, look, I think regardless, I mean, you know, whether it's a franchise, whether it's a management agreement, whether it's management letting rights, uh, whether it's you know building or selling down or you know structuring your capital in a different way, ultimately what's got to happen is that the, the, it's got to be a good hotel. <laughs> it's got to be a well-run, uh, it's got to be a great brand, it's got to be a good location. If the hotel works in whatever form, um, it doesn't matter what economic model it has laid over it or what brand or what um, structure it's got on it in terms of operator, um, the hotel's got to work first and foremost. Um, and so that's what we look to. You know, we sort of get fairly agnostic about you know our position in it or an investor position, and just look at the actual hotel. And if that that works, then it works for everybody. Given recent events, do you foresee a major discrepancy over the short to medium term between occupancy rates for your regional hotel portfolio v that of your metropolitan hotel portfolio? Look, we're seeing a gap between the, the leisure locations and regional locations and CBD and metro today. I think that will fill very quickly though. You know, that's only occurred since, you know, let's, let's understand that, you know, travel has only come back on our calendar in, since September last year. So some four months ago, four or five months ago. Um, leisure's built very rapidly through that and it's you know, come out of the blocks pretty strong. As we return to 2021, we're starting to see the cities build. It, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they start to marry up fairly soon and, uh, and you get a, that volume back in the market overall. Will there be a long-term impact as a result of increased flexibility around work from home? I don't think so. I, I, think, I think it will be a new impact, but I think the cities will fill. I think we've got buoyant economies. Uh, there may be some offices that need less space, but there'll be certainly new offices coming in. There'll be some that are growing. 
you know, again, I think thinking that that theme is going to fundamentally change the nature of cities, I think it will complement cities. I don't think it will change the nature of cities. What are the key trends within the hotel industry at the moment? Key trends right at the moment is health and safety. People want to come in and it's a quite interesting dynamic. We were talking the other day, we used to have our cleaning, cleaning teams come in overnight so they wouldn't disrupt customers. What customers are now seeking, they want to see our cleaning teams in there. You know, they want to see them in the middle of the day cleaning all the surfaces and so on. So it's really interesting how customers do change and they want that security and safety. They want to know that. So very strong you know, cleaning methods, health methods and so on is critical. Um, I think loyalty is very important. You know, when you travel today, you want to, you want to know that you're known. You want to know that you're a name. Should you wish to change your bookings or get or have some flexibility in those bookings, so I think that's really important to people. And then I think that the, the the experience. You know, I think I don't think I think people, whilst they understand there's some COVID restrictions in food and beverage and other such areas, they don't want to be limited by that. So ways of which we can work around that to deliver great food and beverage experiences in hotels has got to be expectation of customers. What are the major opportunities for the hotel industry in the medium to long term? I think, the, I think the opportunities are boundless for the, for the hotel sector and, and I don't say that lightly. I think you know, we all know what we miss and we miss travel enormously. You know, we might be able to go without other luxuries that we've taken out of our lives but I think the first one we're going to put back is travel. So I think there's a great opportunity to deliver on that. I think in terms of Australia and New Zealand there's a great opportunity to deliver on luxury and lifestyle uh, that people may have sought that in other destinations around the world and now realise that whilst the borders are shut, there's an opportunity to have that at home. Uh, but I think that can be a legacy issue ongoing. I think people are going to come out of COVID far more uh, appreciative, far more authentic, a little bit more genuine. And I think our travellers will be the same. So I think that will be an opportunity for us in terms of you know, the satisfying what was previously an overseas desire um, at home. Uh, and I think that's going to be a great opportunity. And I think growth. I think the industry will continue to grow uh, as it was pre-COVID um, and that'll be fuelled by um, yeah, the desire for us all to get back together. In your conversations with your colleagues and counterparts in other continents, how has the Asia-Pacific responded to the challenges of COVID and how quickly will it be able to rebound as opposed to, say, a continental Europe or the North America, for example? Yeah, look, it's interesting. We're just, you know, looking at that right now and we, we break the core region up into eight hubs um, and there's no doubt that uh, the Pacific is one of the best performing. Um, and as I said, whilst at times we think it's pitch dark and raining, um, I wouldn't want to be in Europe and I wouldn't want to be in the States at the moment. So I think it's, yeah, it's a really solid platform. They look on with envy. Um, they're watching the Australian Open. They're watching football crowds. They're watching... Uh, many different sporting occasions. They're watching you know, re uh, life return to some normality. And whilst again, you know, we think you know, it's, it's complex, and it is, it's tough, it's been tough for governments. There's been changes and we're adapting to short lockouts and, 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 and closure of borders. Um, I can tell you the rest of the world looks on with envy. Um, and so I, I think, you know, we, again, we can criticise too quickly, but at the end of the day, to have an economy that we've got and a, an environment which we've got, um, there's many other countries around the world who love what we have, so I think we should have some confidence about that. Golden question I'm sure many would want to know is, in your conversations with politicians or business leaders, potentially it's a Qantas or a Virgin, what's their uh, expectation of when international borders will reopen? Oh, I think largely the sentiment is towards the back end of this year. You know, we'd like it earlier, but you know, we're, we're you know, moving you know, quickly through the first couple of months already. Uh, we're cautious, uh, as we should be, because, as I said, the strength of our economy 
has been a, a cautious approach, but I think towards the back end of this year. Um, but these things change pretty quickly. I think the uncertainty around the vaccine, and I don't say that in a negative way, we just don't know. We don't know what consumer sentiment has. And these, you know, if you look back towards April last year, every fortnight sentiment changed, our mood changed, decisions were changing. You know, that's still going on. So, you know, we look forward to, you know, June, July, vaccine in place. We don't know what that's going to do to our economy. One would suggest it seems that logical that it would play stronger to this region because of our safety and uh, our, our health system and what we've already achieved. So you wash the economy with a, with a, with, a, with the vaccine and you, you, you would suspect it'll give us more confidence. And that will give us confidence to open up uh, green lanes with other countries and so on. It'll be different to what we had before. It'll be cautious initially. Uh, but you'd think towards the back end of this year. There's a lot of planning being done currently. Um, it's just a matter of dusting off those plans at the right time. Where do you think would be most likely, the most likely destinations or, or countries for those green lanes? Presumably New Zealand, Singapore, Japan would be up there. Yeah, I, th I think it's pretty safe to conclude that those countries um, have a system similar to what we've got. So I think what you're going to look for is countries that mirror your level of safety. Um, and your level of governance in, around health. And, and you can draw the conclusion that obviously New Zealand, you know, Japan, Singapore um, sit pretty well, Korea as well. Final question, what's next for Simon McGrath in the Accor Pacific business? Oh look, growth, you know, I think for our economy, I think, I genuinely think coming out of 2021, it's gonna be a good decade ahead. I think uh, we're in a good position as market leader to, to take advantage of that growth. I think tourism on a global scale will be very strong. So, um, yeah, we're just exciting about building the business. We, we've got a lot more to do um, and we've got other businesses to add. Uh, we've got a great team. Uh, we're really excited about the future. So um, we're pretty impatient. Well, look forward to watching the growth. Simon McGrath, AM, absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Take care.